Hello and welcome to Arcast, a podcast from the Royal College of Art, home to the next generation of creatives and the world's number one art and design university, representing the largest concentration of postgraduate artists and designers on the planet. We'll be bringing you insight into the philosophy behind the programmes at the RCA by talking to staff, students and the wider RCA community about what we do here and how the work of architects, artists, communicators, designers and researchers affect the world at large. I'm Benji Jeffrey, and today I'll be talking to Dr. Barbara Brownie about emerging questions and practices in communication. Barbara is a design theorist who considers the relationship between clothes and the body, most recently concentrating on the dressed body in microgravity, and she is also the assistant dean in the School of Communication here at the RCA. Barbara, thank you for joining us today. Hello. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Good. Uh, so let's start with the big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word communication can mean lots of different lots things. Lots of different things, it can. And it, even more, if you put an S on the end of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it means lots of different things to different people. There are people who are associated with telecommunications, with an S, other people with language and linguistics. And um, and, and really, it's, it's lots of different things to lots of different people. And it spans disciplines. And... Um, the School of Communication here at RCA very much focuses on communities, on storytelling, on dialogue, on conversation. And it's not necessarily associated with a particular discipline, but I think we are particularly focused on the space between the analogue and the digital and communication across those things mm. um, and across communities in, in that context of the transition from analogue to digital and back again and, and that relationship between the two. And it always seems to me like within the School of Communication, things kind of sit on a kind of blurry line somewhere between oh, the other absolutely. schools. Well, I'd say that the RCA more broadly is, is although, you know, we, we do have schools that are associated broadly with disciplines. One of the things that the RCA does that's quite d- distinct is challenges those disciplinary boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the School of Communication in particular is always looking at ways of shifting and pushing those boundaries, particularly in the context of new and emerging disciplines that mm. haven't yet got fixed boundaries. Mm-hmm. So so we are very concerned with reflecting critically and, and continuously on where those disciplines sit and what the boundaries are and how they're evolving. Uh-huh. And within your own practice, you've been looking at the relationship between the body and designed objects uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes how they're communicated on screen. Could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, on screen, but particularly the dressed body. So so my research doesn't focus on the body so much as the relationship between body and clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just as an example, I've looked at um, Foley and the Cloth Pass, which is the sound specifically uh, that is recorded to orally communicate the relationship between clothes and the body. So, uh-huh. for example, the sound of somebody undressing or putting their clothes on or the sound of that, that limbs make when they're moving against clothes. Uh-huh. Um, and it's very much something that I think people take for granted, but it is a, a sound, an audio track on top of, you know, all the yeah. other audio tracks and that, that adds to the immersivity and, and the realism of um, a film. Uh-huh. Um, and more recently, my research has been focused on the clothed body in space. So mm-hmm. weightlessness, microgravity is, is what I'm looking at. And depictions in that in sci-fi are particularly interesting because you've got an environment there where the clothes are separated from the body. And so they don't touch each other. The clothes kind of hang around the body in space rather than actually drape on the body. So that relationship uh-huh. between clothes and the body very much changes then. Right. And ways to present that on, on screen are tricky. 
and difficult to, to, to duplicate. Okay. So is that based on like the realistic sounds that exist? Because I know that a lot of the time with Foley stuff, it's not necessarily the sound that would actually be made. It's a heightened version of, right? Yeah. I mean, often it could be produced by a, a thing that is not the, the thing that we're seeing on, on screen. I think mostly in the case of cloth passes, it is going to be cloth right. and fabric and clothes that, that are recorded to make those those noises. But it's amazing how much the um, the sound of clothes also tells us about the space in which things are happening. So the sound of clothes in a big space. So, so let's say, for example, a character on screen is taking their clothes off in a bedroom and they land on carpet. That's going to, very, going to be a very different sound to uh-huh. somebody taking their clothes off and dropping to the floor on a wood floor. So, yeah. so there's environmental things as well as the actual sound of clothes that need to be taken into account. So it contributes to much more than our understanding of the relationship between the clothes and the body, but also the space around the body as well. And I guess that had a relationship to kind of the, the truth of the matter or the kind of fiction of the matter, right? Like you you maybe don't want to have carpet, you want to have wooden floor. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's interesting in terms of communication, thinking through whether we're communicating something that is true or communicating something that will do something or p- communicate a particular right. message. Or that is not shown. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, often the the cloth past is what's what communicates these actions that are not actually shown on screen. And again, going back to undressing as an example, it may be the one way they get around um, showing a scene of somebody becoming naked on screen is just by having the sound of their dress falling on the floor. So it's surprising how much of a narrative can be told through the sound of clothes mm-hmm. and the sound of the relationship between the sound, the clothes and the body. Yeah. So your practice comes from a design background. And I think particularly in the School of Communication, people are coming from different places. And with the new programs that are coming, we are, uh, students are going to be able to do units in different schools and then come back to the mm-hmm. kind of host program. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the new communication program is quite explicitly engaged in this idea of not wanting to define communication as a discipline, but acknowledging that it is an evolving discipline, that there are emerging practices that could be informed by students' experience of other disciplines as well. And that includes doing elective units in other schools. Mm. Um, So what we hope is that every single student will do something different and they will have their own unique journey through the programme and therefore by the time they get to their final project they will be coming at it from a different place to all the other students in their same cohort Mm -hmm. because they will have done different electives in different schools they will come with different questions different experiences Mm. and and so their approach to communication is going to be different from the student standing next to them in class and I think that's one of the things that we really want to encourage and embrace on the programme is is that potential for everybody to look at the discipline from a slightly different perspective. You just mentioned the idea that that not thinking about communication as a discipline. What do we think about it as if we don't think about it as a discipline, would you say? It's about being human. Uh Uh-huh. So I say it's almost more fundamental than a discipline. What makes our species distinct is our ability to communicate in the way that we have developed a society based on our ability to communicate and our willingness to do that. Mm. So it's very fundamental. And I think we use ideas about discipline to to frame different aspects of communication or different practices in potentially quite artificial ways. Mm. Um, and, and that has possibly caused us to think in slightly siloed ways uh-huh. that is, is actually sometimes unhelpful. Right. And, and I hope that the programme will help us to overcome that a little bit. Yeah. 
I think as creatives generally, we're always oscillating, aren't we, between this idea of defining something and then completely defying the definition yeah. and then rebuilding it again. Well, you need to define something in order to then defy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, in one of the key steps on the journey towards expanding a discipline or reconsidering it is defining it and then picking holes in that definition. Mm, mm, mm. Are there any, so we've just got RCA 2023 at the moment with uh, all our students are, are showing, we've got the digital platform. Is there anything happening on there in particular that you think kind of exemplifies this quite well? I think one of the things that um, people will see if they look at any of our exhibitions or you know, in person or, or on the online platform is the extent to which there is overlap between the programmes in the school. Mm. Um, and that overlap is sometimes in the form of the technologies that are being used or the, the themes or the questions that are being asked. And I think that that very much shows us that there are these difficulties, not necessarily that they're negative, but that there are these overlaps mm. at the edges of, of those disciplines, which is why it's so important that we are a community as a school mm -hmm. and allow for these opportunities for cross-pollination of ideas and themes across our, our programs because mm. it's very much a positive that students are able to be inspired by each other across the program boundaries. Yeah, I think that's the the joy of the program boundaries, I guess, is, is knowing what conversations you're going to have rather than what work you're going to make. So mm. I, I did moving image uh, and it was really great to be having conversations around the moving image. But I probably could have been having conversations in sculpture. Or, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's about how that conversation is centred, I suppose. Yeah. And we don't necessarily centre those conversations around stuff that is clearly or obviously within a discipline. We tend to look outwards for the themes for conversation. And so we would look at other stuff that's happening in the world. And in particular, for example, um, the UN Sustainability Goals, mm -hmm. things that are happening in the world. Um, climate crisis, stuff in science, stuff that's very much outside of the discipline of communication, even outside of the arts. So those conversations begin very far outside of a discipline that you might recognise as communication or any other sub-disciplines within it, but then are considered through the eyes of that discipline or somehow interpreted in whatever the individual discipline that the student might have, which could be different perhaps to a student that they're sitting alongside in class. Uh -huh. And thinking about these UN goals and sustainability and coming back again to what you were saying about how uh, what we have as humans is the ability, the ability to communicate. I feel like on RCA 2023, I've seen quite a few things where people are challenging even that, right? <laughs> so the idea that we can communicate with plants, plants can communicate with each other. Once again, like trying to push what that boundary is. Yeah. And actually, again, there's something else that we do that's, that's quite interesting in the school is not just looking at human communication. Uh -huh. But sometimes thought exercises happen where students imagine being a non-human entity. So, for example, how would you approach climate crisis if you are not human, if you are a lake? What is your, your thoughts about climate yeah, yeah, crisis? Yeah. If, if you are a beaver, how would you address climate crisis? You know, these other ways of looking at the world from a non-human perspective yeah. also are very much part of our conversations. Yeah, and a really challenging thing to do because it's, it's hard to do that without kind of going anthropomorphic, right? <laughs> there's there's yeah. a difference between ascribing human values to something yeah. than actually genuinely thinking about that thing. And as part of that thinking, I suppose speculation is really, really important to the work that students are doing. Speculation and empathy, being able to see things from the perspective of other people and other things. And a lot of our students are prompted to reflect on what it means to be human just just what it means to be human from different perspectives so for example looking at the human body as a system rather than a single thing so moving away from this idea of the individual and more towards a human as 
a living system that has all sorts of other things going on in, inside it. If you were a, a, a microbe in somebody's body, uh-huh. you wouldn't necessarily recognise the identity of the body that you're in. As far as you're concerned, that's a whole ecosystem. So, uh-huh. so there's other you know, big, bigger questions there about how we perceive the world through the perspective of being human, being an individual, whether that is even a thing. You know, that's a very artificial construct, this idea of the individual. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we impose. It's, you know, it's a worldview that isn't necessarily universally understood from the perspective of other non-human things. And uh-huh. that's something that we try to challenge. Yeah. And there's a lot of collaboration that's involved in these programs as well, right? This this kind of individualist, I spoke to Martin Youth about this kind of briefly mm-hmm. as well, this idea that the over the last 20 years, maybe there's been more kind of... Uh, trust in community uh, rather than this idea of the auteur and, and the one person who is the source of all knowledge. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and we do hope that, that students will bring interesting ideas and knowledge with them. We absolutely don't want to create a situation in which there is a, a master standing in the front of the classroom imparting uh-huh. all their wisdom to the students. That's not what we want at all. Very much we, we look at our students as um, as peers, as people who will come to the college with their own knowledge and their own background and and their own idea of what communication is. Mm. And I suppose there's a lot of, sorry, just referring back to another episode, mm-hmm. Tandy Lowenson was talking a bit about undoing, about how a lot of this is to do with undoing rather than kind of piling yeah. piling on top, which I guess is once again thinking about this idea of the human and, and thinking backwards. What, what, what do we define that as is through getting yeah. rid? Yeah, identifying the things that you've taken for granted, identifying the assumptions Mm-hmm. So that you can then reflect on them, ask why those assumptions exist and unpick them and say, well, what if something else was the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I guess there's a lot of um, on the RCA 2023 platform, there's a collection that was done by the Neurodiverse Society, which is mm-hmm. a student from visual communication in it. You know, it's kind of people thinking through language as something that we can use for communication and thinking about what that does and how it can be rethought rather than working with the tropes and, and, and ideas we've always had. So how do you see what's happening within the School of Communication uh, moving beyond the school and into the world? For example, Digital Direction have started doing uh, work with Outernet, which is this this wild new space in London that has all these giant screens that people in, uh, is it Tottenham Court Road, are constantly like able to engage with? Um, yeah, I think one of the things that happens particularly well at RCA is relationships with industry. Mm-hmm. And... Outernet is a brilliant example of, of that. The screens at Outernet are these huge, big room-sized screens, including, you know, a whole, whole room that is effectively a box of of screens. So you can be completely immersed in a piece of, of students' work. And those venues and those commercial partners offer our students opportunities to to work outside of the, the college in a professional environment, but also with technologies that they would never otherwise have a chance to work with. Mm. And in particular, we've forged these relationships with companies who develop new technologies and who come to us to ask our students to propose new ways of using technology or to test them to their limits or do interesting things that those companies had not yet thought of. Mm. And so it's a mutually beneficial relationship um, in which the the students get to experiment with new technologies and then the companies are prompted to consider new uses that they haven't yet thought about. Right. So we've talked a little bit about the kind of like UN goals and mm. uh, there are a lot of big questions being faced by communication practitioners. Are there any other particular ones that, that you see emerging through the school? Um, I think at the moment we are very concerned with the metaverse, mm. with AI. Um, and again, this is about pushing boundaries and redefining what the discipline is and... 
um, the way that new technologies can redefine or push boundaries of, of of communication. Um, and there are emerging disciplines as a result of emerging technologies. And we're really interested in, in um, seeing where those things go and also having students who question where those things could go. Mm. Um, and I think AI in particular is something that we're very interested in, in seeing how students engage with it. I, I know there is a lot of fear, yeah, but there is also an awful lot of potential yeah. To do some really interesting things. Um, and it's so important that we engage particularly with things like the potential for for bias mm. in AI because the data sets that they're drawing from are biased. Um, so I, th I think that's something that I'd really like to see our students in engage directly with mm. um, and, and not to be af afraid of it, but to, to look at ways of addressing that directly so that there is more awareness and so that there are creative uses and there's there's ways that our students could potentially direct the future of the use of AI for, for creative um, communities and um, for the wider communities as well. Yeah, which is really important work because it is it is kind of terrifying <laughs> <laughs> to think what is is possible, particularly, I guess, for, you know, um, an animators, I'm just thinking of as, as one example, the, the ability to kind of produce these, I mean, they're not they're not as good, but they do something. They they do the thing, right? And they're not as good yet. Not it's, as good it's yet, not exactly. It's going to be long before they are indistinguishable from other things. Um, the technology is evolved so fast. Yeah. And it's it's too easy to say, well, you can tell that it's AI now, but you know, a few months' time, a year or two's time, you will not be able to tell. Yeah. So where does that leave us then? Yeah. Um, and those are the kind of questions that I hope students will ask. Yeah. And it's always tricky, isn't it? This this uh, relationship between kind of more traditional formats and, and, and new formats and kind of like, do you see much kind of a butting of heads between the two within the school, do you think? Um, I hope that there is in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that actually our, um, our programmes do really well is that relationship between the analogue and the digital. And so you you see a lot of projects that have physical aspects to them or printed aspects to them and then also a digital dimension you know maybe data that is um, manipulated or collected digitally and then that somehow forms a physical thing or vice versa and and so I yeah I do think that there is that butting of, of heads or that, that conflict or that interface between the analog and the digital and that is one of the things that actually defines a lot of what we do in the school so we have quite a few students who do things like stop motion animation mm -hmm. um or who find themselves soldering and building, uh, constructing objects and maybe creating something digitally and then projecting it onto objects. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very much about the physical and the making of three-dimensional things. Mm -hmm. But then also the print as well. Mm. And we do have you know things like letterpress going on, um, riser printing, but we don't ever really see those in isolation. Right. Um, and there's an interesting example of a piece of work at the recent exhibition from Information Experience Design uh -huh. with a student who was generating a font with unrecognisable letter forms produced from digital interaction, data that was, that was generated live from people who were viewing and interacting with um, a Padlet. Mm -hmm. And then, so that, that created live an evolving typeface. Mm -hmm. And that was all hooked up to a system that was printing out physical postcards and, and pieces of paper with um, stuff written in this, this ever-evolving font. So uh -huh. there's that live input of data, but also the relationship between the digital and, and the physical and the um, new digital methods and 
the slightly more what you might call old school approaches to um, visual communication. Yeah, I guess that's the nice thing about these kind of analog methods in the present day is that they be- very much become timestamps. Like once it is printed, it is that particular thing. So with this idea, that physical entity becomes a timestamp of that moment, whereas the digital can be an evolving thing where we don't even know it's changing. <laughs> it's just constantly turning into something new. Although it's surprising how much the technology that you use does timestamp something. Uh-huh. Because if you use an outdated technology, that does look retro or it looks like it belongs right. in a particular era. So in in some ways, I'd say even more so than the analog, sometimes the digital does date something. Right, 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 right. And particularly students now who are young enough that they have had their entire lives with the internet and with, with the digital. That's the world that they live in. So they don't necessarily make the distinction between pre and post internet or pre and post digital. Yeah. It's much more about different generations of digital being different things and the, those evolving technologies. Yeah. Thinking about this uh, this idea of discipline uh, specificity, one thing I found interesting about our um, uh, the the show that we've just had for our RCA 2023 was that within the painting studios in particular, it felt like there was so much more painting, which seems really obvious, <laughs> than there has been in previous mm-hmm. years. Do you see a kind of like move to more uh, uh, maybe traditional or analog ways of working in school communication? Um, I think particularly in visual communication, we got a lot of students experimenting with. Um, what might be considered technologies or, or tools that are possibly old, I mean, you could call them old fashioned, uh-huh. but they are, you know, longstanding tools and technologies that have been yeah. around for hundreds of years. So um, that kind of embracing of old traditional ways of, of doing things is very much present in the school as well. Mm. And because those technologies are so well established, Mm. Um, I think it's possibly tempting um, to to take them for granted. But again, the critical approach to absolutely everything, including physical processes, means that we can look at those existing technologies afresh mm-hmm. and experiment with them and explore them from the perspective of different environments. So I think in in a weird way, the the future technologies, the the things that are only just emerging, the, the technologies that we think will emerge in 10 years' time, um, can be looked at almost in, in similar ways to those very well-established technologies that have been around for 100, 200, however long, two years, because none of those technologies, past or future, are necessarily native to now mm. um, and are all kind of beyond the place that we occupy now. Mm. And I guess alongside these kind of uh, well-established ways of working, uh, there's there's sometimes kind of rediscovering uh, of of technologies, which kind of ties into the kind of ideas around like decolonizing and, you know, kind of uh, not showing necessarily preference for the the, the canon, the the kind of technological canon, if that's a thing. I think to really work effectively with any medium, any technology, you have to go through a process of, of making strange, of, of um, stepping back and, and critically reappraising what it can do and mm. defamiliarising it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the best way to, to do interesting things with it, it's to not just approach it in the same way as people have before or, 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 or follow in the footsteps of people who have used that media or those technologies before, but... Again, not taking that for granted, but but being more critical in your approach to it. Yeah, and I guess it's you know people say that we're in the period of post-production, right, where it's not about necessarily trying to make new things, but aug- augmenting <laughs> what has gone before, perhaps. Yeah, and you know being self-referential and yeah, yeah, critiquing the past uses of these things. Yeah, and one phrase that I know is used a lot in the school of communication is is what if. 
Could you just tell us a bit about that? Absolutely, yes. So um, a lot of the projects that our students do or the the, um, the things that they're asked to, to consider start with this what if. What if one thing was different? What if, if this world that you inhabit... Um, was completely transformed by one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own research, for example, with weightlessness, I asked, well, what if you remove gravity? Uh-huh. <laughs> what effect does that have on everything? And actually, it's really quite fundamental because you take this one thing away and everything that we take for granted changes. Yeah. And and those kinds of questions we ask a lot in the school and it, it, it forces students to question everything they've taken for granted. So we're going back to these these ideas about the assumptions that we make and and the process of discarding those or critically reflecting on those assumptions uh-huh. um, and, and imagining new worlds in which there are significant differences. But it really only needs to be one thing. You change one thing and the whole entire world changes. Yeah. And then everything has to be approached from a different perspective. Yeah. So could you tell us a bit about this work with microgravity that you're, you're working on? Uh, well, at the moment, I am particularly looking at space as a site for uh, creative practice mm-hmm. and broadly that i mean that's it's a huge topic but the main difference between the environment in space if you're inside a spacecraft at least mm-hmm. um, and the environment on earth is the absence of gravity right and it means so many things that affect the things that, that artists and designers do are very different. They have to start from very different foundations. So, for example, we are so used to this idea of things being upright and having a top and a bottom. Uh-huh. Those concepts don't exist in space. There is no such thing as a top and the bottom. I and mean, you very much approach things in the round. Right. So these fundamental ideas that we take for granted have to be completely reconsidered. You have to discard these ideas that a thing has a top and a, and, and a bottom. And my own research, for example, into um, the dressed body in space and what silhouette is, we are, are used to the idea of a, a silhouette as being this upright standing form. Not only do bodies in space not stand, they, you know, they're in much more of a kind of seated position, a little bit like a, a snowboarder. So they don't ever take that, that posture. Uh-huh. But also you would really approach a weightless body from the front. So you'd see all sorts of different angles. You might see a body from above the shoulders or below the feet. So you start to see angles that you don't necessarily encounter on Earth. Uh And we are so used to designing the front of clothes and the back of clothes and possibly the side of clothes, we don't think about what a dress might look like from underneath or from above. Yeah. And so you start having to think about all these different angles and the idea of a silhouette then changes. Mm -hmm. And throughout the history of fashion, we have have this idea of the new silhouette and the silhouette has has evolved um, and it's always evolved in terms of things like the ratio of bust to the waist to the hips but as soon as you get into space and you're not seeing an elevation view or a, a front on view of of a body an upright view of a body then you start to see the kind of new paradigms in, in what silhouette could be it's no longer about that ratio of bust to waist to hips it might might be an entirely different thing that is always evolving and, and changing as the body rotates around and floats in, in zero gravity and is is approached from different angles. Mm. And how does this manifest then? What does the silhouette of the future in space look like? I think we have to completely discard the idea of silhouette, silhouette okay. for one. Got so it. that's and that's the kind of thing that happens when you ask what hit what if is is you do have to just discard these things that you take for granted that have been fundamental to practice for a long time. And again, you know, in fashion, we have this history of practice based on on drape. Mm-hmm. You know, clothes are fabric draped on the body but in space there is no such thing as drape because there is no gravity to hold fabric down on the body so you have to completely discard this this approach to practice that is no longer applicable Mm. and you've been working with other practitioners on this is that correct you've kind of got a group that's forming around Um, this yeah yeah we've got a space group Mm -hmm. 
Um, so we are not just concerned with the stuff that I'm doing, which is about weightlessness, but more broadly about um, the relationship between the arts and the space sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and different people in the group take different approaches. So we might have people like me who are um, concerned with um, the environment of space and the potential for, for space as a site mm-hmm. for deploying um, creative practice, but also there are other people who are concerned with things like the data that's collected from space through satellites and, and things that they can do on Earth with that data. Uh-huh. So there's the astronomy side of things as well. There's there's also people who are um, interested in the, the broader idea of the Earth in the context of, of space and what it, it means to be human and to be an Earthling uh-huh. as we explore the stars. So there's lots of different perspectives, lots of different perspectives on on space and its relationship to the arts in, in that group. And we've all kind of come together to to focus on exploring those things. Nice. And is the idea that this group will um, produce something? Is it more a kind of conversational group? How does it operate? I think it's it's the group is a uh, an opportunity really for the conversations to happen. Yeah. Um, for collaborations to happen. Uh-huh. So it's a big enough group that we won't always just be doing one thing. There'll be little groups within that group, subgroups, working on different things at the same time, but then also kind of coming together and communicating with each other about shared interests. Uh-huh. So I think broadly we are very interested collectively in the relationship between the arts and, and the space sector, but actually in our individual groups there are specific concerns that, that we have that are leading to lots of different projects or with that associated theme. Uh-huh. And are you seeing much of that emerging through student work? Uh, for example, we have the Grand Challenge where people are working on kind of like emergent topics which might need uh, solving in the future. Is there any of that happening? I think we're very much focused on the future across the board, mm. particularly in the School of Communication, but also I think particularly School of Design as well. We are future facing. And again, this comes back to discipline and what you know, disciplines might be in the future and, and how they evolve, but also solving problems that we see happening in, in the future and making a better future, building a future. Mm. I guess that's what a lot of uh, kind of uh, creative education and, and creative fields in general. It's kind of about building the world that you want to see. Yeah, shaping uh, shaping the future and, and hopefully in positive ways. Mm, mm, mm. I think the way that we want to shape the future is not necessarily always through problem solving. I think mm. that's possibly one of the biggest differences between design and um, and communication is, is that... Um, you know, without over, oversimplifying things, I think yeah. in, in in design the approach to the future is often um, identifying and then solving problems that might exist in the future. Whereas in communication, we are more concerned about asking questions than we are problem solving. Mm. And so, asking questions that help us to define what the future might be or who we might be in the future, mm. not necessarily finding answers, but just asking those questions. Yeah. It's interesting to think about how the, the the different ways of thinking about this are across all the different uh, disciplines as well. I was talking to Tandy on the last podcast about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I was using a rubber band as a metaphor for saying, you know, we speculate on these huge ideas and then perhaps we spring back and we do a little bit. And she was saying, well, no, we actually have to, you know, be trying to solve the whole thing. You know, It's not enough to just be doing a little bit. You've got to be getting the whole thing. Yeah, no, we don't feel the need to solve in the way that I think some other disciplines <laughs> do. I think, I think we're there to ask provocative questions. Not to say we've got a definitive solution and it's all fixed now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we recognise that it's, it's often quite quite a bit more complicated than trying to solve a problem. Um, and it's important to ask unanswerable questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was less about solving problems and more about kind of saying that, you know, these, these big pictures that we have can, can become realities. 
I think, yeah, we speculate not necessarily about things that might become realities, but also looking at unrealities uh-huh. and yeah. fictions as a, a way of finding meaning that is applicable to the real world, mm. but not necessarily focusing single-mindedly on, on reality, but asking questions that it, it, sometimes it helps to move beyond reality to mm. to understand reality. Yeah. I mean, and what? so we engage with fiction as a way of looking at the real world. Yeah. And reality is just a, another boundary that we think we understand. Well, and <laughs> absolutely. And then, yes, then you get back to AI and virtual reality and all these other, other things as well, which are very much at the core of, of communication at the yeah. moment and, and the way that it's it's evolving. Yeah. What is reality? Is bit too big a question for for any of us. It is too big. Um, Is there any advice you've got for people that want to engage with uh, kind of topics around communication or get involved in in the field of communication? I'd say don't be too focused on communication itself. Uh Be focused on other things. And communication is a lens through which you can look at those other things. I think this is in the conversation I've been having that it keeps coming back to, Mm. which is... um, I personally call it about like finding the joy and then and then and then finding the way to do it. But you know, you finding the thing you're interested in and then working outwards, right? Yeah. And then communicating that thing. Mm. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for joining me today, Barbara. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Arcast, the Royal College of Art podcast, home to the next generation of artists, innovators, and entrepreneurs, and the world's number one art and design university. You can learn more about our programs at rca.ac.uk as well as finding news and events relating to the college and our application portal if you're a prospective student. <laughs> <laughs>